and welcome to another episode of Esba uh, Bookish Podcast. I'm Elle. And I'm Reggie. And today we're joined by author and singer-songwriter Joanna Skew. Hello everyone. Um, so before we dive into the book um, uh, that we're discussing this week, I wasn't present last time um, when Reggie had the fantastic episode with C. I did have Covid. So I was very, very unwell. Um, not to, I won't dwell on it, but just to say, you know, make sure you're masking up, make sure you are taking precautions. Um, it's really unpleasant if you haven't had it yet, or if you maybe only have been asymptomatic. Um, it really knocked me out for a while over a week. Uh, so that was fun and games, but I'm back now. And today we're discussing a psalm for the wild built which is by Becky Chambers and for those who are unfamiliar with the book it takes place in a kind of as far as my understanding is an alternate earth um, where robots gain sentience and kind of separate from humans you have a tea monk who is travels into the wilds and comes across a robot who asks a key question of what do people need uh, so Joe to start off with why did you pick this book um I don't know so do you know when you like read loads of books and then some just stick out this Mm -hmm. this stuck out and I just kept thinking about it and it was the one book I kept telling people to read and I think that's why I picked it because this is a great platform for telling multiple people to read this book so that's that's why it really stuck out it's it's um it's not just a book or a story it's a kind of moment in time and that's why I love it 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 felt like a a moment it felt like a vibe it felt like um I was there and sucked in um to the ethos of, of the story as well yeah Fab. um so the book falls kind of under science fiction um, but it sounds like it's quite a philosophical book rather than something that's particularly like action or plot heavy, would you think? Yeah, definitely. I think Becky Chambers does the philosophical thing very well, but she does it on such a human level. She doesn't do it on a human level. She does it on a um, um, like a queer woman level, I feel like you really identify with the way she navigates the world because that's the way I navigate the world yeah that makes sense I I, re- I sound like a hippie <laughs> <laughs> no but I mean that's a good reason to um identify with a book with the author with the characters things like that I think because so we I- all have to relate to it on some level yeah everybody gets horny and sibling dex who's a tea monk gets horny and gets the d in this book like that's what that's why i like it because it wasn't just about humans and robots and traveling these old places in a future earth it was about companionship and finding connections on the road as well yeah so you said that it was the ethos you connected to is that the kind of hippie traveling ideas behind it or something else in the novella 100 percent. it was the traveling the roads being in the wild camping out under the stars because that's something i do admittedly not in a cute little tea truck that i can pull along on a bike but in my jeep um and I just hit the roads and pull up and sleep wherever I kind of land. And um, I like that way of traveling and getting lost. But you're never really lost because you can just set up and sleep somewhere with your with your golden retriever like me. And <laughs> it's all good. So, yeah, it's that traveling, um, seeing different cultures, um, being worn out by the journey as well so at the end of the day it feels like the end of the day and um, that I really love the the vibe of it's so inviting 
So it's more like the journey is important versus the actual destination. Yeah, 100%. This is about the journey. And the next book, which it came out last week on the Kindle, but it comes out in a month's time, hardback, physical. Um, it, it will be continuation of it because we don't, we get the first question answered in this, but then it leads to many more questions. So I'm just excited because this was the first step in a journey and a series that I know I'm going to be there for on release day every every time another one comes out. Yeah, and just you picking it up, it's not exactly the biggest book in the world. It's fairly slim from what you just showed me. But it just kind of proves that it doesn't have to be like a gigantic magnum opus to have a good impact, like a good lasting impact. And I think sometimes people forget that when they're reading. Yeah, and I I read um, Becky Chambers' last novella, To Be Taught If Fortunate, and that one was about um, a bunch of LGBT folk in space, and I bloody loved it, like, absolutely loved it, because what else wouldn't you love? Like, it was it was so representative, and, um, and it was a good look into the science community as well, and queer people in the science community. And they, they went off and they were just researching other planets. And that was the diary of them researching the other planets. And that's to be taught if fortunate. Um, and I read that and I was like, oh, my God, how can Becky, Becky Chambers move me this much in a novella? So that's why I, you know, was waiting for a psalm for the wild built, because I knew that she could do something to me. <laughs> you wanted that emotion. Yeah. You're like I'm empty inside. Becky Chambers, come and give me some emotion here. I wasn't going to say phrasing then, Reggie, but phrasing. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> everything I do is like a double entendre. Everything I say, everything I do, I'm just going to live with it. I waited to see Elle's face, and then I was like, she found that funny. <laughs> I know. I find everything I say funny, but it's usually just me. <laughs> I, I find you funny, Reggie. Thank you. At least you someone else funny. finds me funny. <laughs> My partner usually just looks at me and walks away slowly. Yeah, Rich does that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you think uh, Becky Chambers has influenced you with your own writing as well? Because that's similar to the themes that you write about. Yeah, 100%. But I kind of came to that before I'd even started reading her work. I was like, I want to do sci-fi, but I want to do sci-fi that's real, that talks about periods and space and stuff like that, and um, started writing that. And then obviously I found Becky Chambers because your local bookshop person said, have you tried Becky Chambers? And I was like, okay. And then obviously I got um, started with her Wayfarer series, um, which is awesome. Uh, very different, uh, kind of the same humanitarian um, look at the future, uh, but a lot longer, obviously, because they're novels. And also bookshop people know what's up along with librarians. Librarians? Librarians? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where that came from. I can speak, I swear. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that before in my life. That's new. I love librarians. I think they're yep. great. Librarians are great. Yeah. yeah. They always have an idea. And if you don't know, or if they don't know, they'll find the answer for you. Or they Where know. Where would we be without them? They know the route you need to take to find the answer for yourself. Yes. One or the other. Sometimes you'll have so one that just holds your hand and guides you down the path. And they take the same journey. And then you have those that are like, here you go. Have fun. Yep. Pack you a sandwich and go. Similar to... um the book a Psalm for the Wild Built because obviously sibling Dex non-binary character by the way I don't know if we've mentioned that um is uh very much into guiding people um to their to their outcome their future whatever they want um and I saw as well when I was reading that on the book that within a few months of its release it wasn't like on a list of the most influential sci-fi books 
as well. Like for such a short amount of time that it'd been out, it's obviously really impacted sci-fi as a genre. I didn't I didn't know that. What was what, was it Guardian or was it somewhere big or? Um, it was it was a familiar name that I saw. Let me have a look. Uh, because right, uh, Book Riot. Nice. Okay. Yeah, the most influential sci-fi books of all time, and that was th- when it was three months old. Wow. So Sarah Gailey said about it. This book, this is a book that for one night made me stop asking, what am I even for? I'm prescribing a pre-order to anyone who has ever felt lost. Mm-hmm. Isn't that cute? It's cute, but also very high praise. I feel like that's a very high shelf to be put on. Wow. Well, I, I agree with it. You agree with it. I'm just saying like, that is very <laughs> high praise. The shelf yeah. is very high way up there yeah definitely and I think Becky's always done she's just one of those authors I've got an affinity with um and it's like a um a bit of a trip every time like mentally because you learn so much about yourself as well look on your face when you said that me or Al oh you or Joe Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been going through a, a stage of learning about myself recently. So so it resonates with you on a separate level, on just like like an extra special level, let's say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it was released as well during the pandemic, which with the themes and topics that it discusses probably resonated with that more people than it normally would. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I, I think as well, there's something, so I'm a proper nerd about sci-fi robots. Like I've got favourite robots and I get excited every time Star Wars has a new droid, just in case it's going to be my new favourite. Um, and yeah, so the the robot in, in the book is fantastic. Absolute one-liners, like, not meant to be hilarious, but to a human reader, it is hilarious. And um, and that its pronouns are it, and it says I am an it. And there's a really good argument in the book that describes pronoun use. And I just feel like I was like, yes, Becky, like describing it through the words of literally an inanimate object. The robot knows it's an inanimate object. It identifies as an inanimate object and wants to be an inanimate object. So every time sibling Dex is trying to kind of put a gender or something onto the robot, the robot's like, no, 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 I'm not human, I'm, a, I'm an object. And I just think that's, it, it's, she's put a light on an argument that so many queer folk have to just drill down into everybody else. And she's just twisted it in, in a in a great light that makes us see it from the point of view of something that we we can't see anything from any other point of view as the human point of view so when we see it from a robot's point of view it's great and it just makes you see things a little bit differently and she's good at doing that is becky sounds like you and our previous guest z would get along very very well (laughs) with your love of robots and sci-fi being as Z brought Martha Wells and Murderbot Diaries. This is funny you say Martha Wells because Martha <laughs> Wells says about this book, this was an optimistic vision of a lush, beautiful world that came back from the brink of disaster. Exploring it with the two main characters was a fun and fascinating experience. Martha Wells. There you go. See, and it all loops together in the end. Exactly. It's either that or we just all those authors know their audience and they also have a great overlap with the other authors and they're just like, yep, here we are. Definitely. And considering sci-fi has always, has got this reputation of being an an old boys club and like these authors are really managing to kind of break that down, put it a bit more into the mainstream as well. 
like I feel like I've seen more people reference a Murderbot and Sound of the Wild Bill and things like that than most other classic sci-fi, except for when the classic sci-fis get the names of films again. <laughs> True. I think as well, going back to the robot thing, I think they teach us certain things like in, um, was it in The Last Jedi, the little robot that did a little bit of a consent lesson? Yeah. Um, yes. I thought that was brilliant. Um, Al, explain explain that. I feel like you know about this way more than me. I can't remember the exact scene, but um, yeah, I know. I remember what you mean, but I can't remember exactly how it's it was like, trained. Ray, t- Ray tries to touch this little droid and he, he just reverses and goes, no, no, thank you. Something yeah. like that. And I was just like, that's literally every child who gets forced to kiss their grandparents and their aunts and everything. And I'm just so grateful for Disney to put for putting that in and certainly referencing that. Oh, God. Yeah. My one uncle is uh, notorious for that. Oh. And I'm just like, I, I don't want to. <laughs> I'd rather be over here. I'll give you a hug, but I'm just gonna try and pull away. One armed hug, Uncle. One armed hug, and now I'm going to skirt around you and try and hide in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't. Re- I I did see the Last Jedi, and I just cannot remember <clears throat> that scene. I am full disclosure when it comes to a lot of sci-fi. My brain is basically a colander. A lot of it just falls right out. <laughs> and as much as I want to like it, I love the visuals, but my retention is not great. See, I'm like that with The Expanse. I can't get on with The Expanse. I just... I I, I just, like, I need some characters in there because I watched the first three seasons and I was like it's still not getting me it's not gripping me at all there's no characters that grip me there's no like um storyline that particularly I can relate to and I just never got into it and it's one of those great sci-fis that everybody talks about and everyone references as one of these great works and I just don't see it Yeah, I, I like my sci-fi heavier on the, like, fantasy fiction side than the science side. So, never like Star Trek, love Star Wars. I, and I know like... Star Trek is amazing and has all this cool stuff to it, but I could never, ever get into it. And I, I adventures rather than tech. So, I like science jobs, so that's why I like Star Trek. <laughs> I like Star Trek because in terms of television, it was so progressive in how it portrayed things. And it's still being progressive um, on the new seasons as well. But I have to say, I don't really have a horse in either race. Um, One of my favorite sci-fi movies is actually Sunshine, which I feel like a lot of people have not seen. I've seen it. I love Sunshine so much. I adore that movie. Um, I don't. I know that like they did a lot of research for it, so it's more based in like reality type science. But the characters were just pretty well rounded, and it was more like a human drama than a sci-fi. You could come up with the best sci-fi concept ever, best horror concept, best fantasy concept. But if the characters aren't there, then what's the point? Yeah, it's true. I mean, like, if you didn't have Sigourney Weaver and Alien, would anyone have gone to watch it? I mean, the Alien looks great, but without Sigourney Weaver... If they kept the cat in it, though, maybe. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah. That's fair. Fair assessment. That cat was the star. (laughs) We all know it. Yeah. Yeah, I like Alien. I like... um, What was I was just thinking of something then. I was like, oh, I like that. Red Dwarf kind of counts as sci-fi right it is sci-fi yeah definitely yeah. red dwarf is legendary another cat in that yeah <laughs> there is a cat who i i didn't get to meet properly but i was at a convention and i just waited nearby until he said his signature phrases and then i was like yeah i'm happy let's go 
I thought that's his job for the rest of time now. I did, yeah. Conventions and phrases. And the guy who played Todd from Scrubs was there, and I saw him give someone a high five. I was like, that's all I need. Oh. Aww. I also got to meet uh, Anthony Head, so I actually did go and meet him. So. That's, that's cool. I think the See, closest I've gone to that, span- like any of those fandom spheres, was something with George Takei. And that was when I witnessed for the first time, like that true deep dive nerd question. <laughs> I had never witnessed one in reality before. And ultimately, I believe the question boiled down to where did you learn how to fence? But it took five minutes to get there. Oh, my God. And my aunt and I were just like, <laughs> oh, God, hurry it up. Hurry it up. <laughs> like, like, where are we going with this? Why are we quoting each episode specifically? He doesn't remember which episode it is. It's kind of like us recording where we just forget everything as soon as we walk out the door. Was this a white man? Sorry. No, it was it not. Wasn't. No, it was like it was a little teenage girl. Oh my god. Because like, the only the only thing I would think as to why you would phrase a question that way is to show off to George Takai about your fucking knowledge. I know it was just it was a little teenage girl. She was white. It was a primarily white convention. I will admit that in that area, it is predominantly white people. But I was still like, OK, great. And what was the answer to the question? Uh, he had trained with the same person who trained Errol Flynn in the old movies. And he had learned his fencing that way, I believe, was the answer. And I was like, OK, if we had if we could have wrapped this up so much faster and gotten like a great story about how, how you did fencing. And he was like, I just wanted to do it in a, in an episode. And they let me do it. I was like, cool. And now that's infamous. I know. Well, in my mind, it's infamous. (laughs) Yeah. Cause the question should never never be longer than the answer. I agree. I just prefer brief answers, like brief questions, brief answers. I don't need unless I ask for more. And this is true with a lot of my stories that I consume and things like that. If if there's a question, at least have some kind of answer to it. Don't just leave it hanging. At least have something there. I can have a I can have uncertainty, but there should be like a thread that I could follow. Yeah. And sometimes, at least for me with these hard sci-fi, like hard sci-fi books, they go too far with the answer. And it actually like makes it less like you can have two extremes on those. You can have like no answer or you can have too much of an answer. And I think too much of an answer, I lose interest. Too little of an answer, I lose interest. And that's my ADH brain right there. You need to read some Becky Chambers then because you don't really have to worry about any of that. That's perfect. And I also need to read yeah. some Martha Wells after Z sold that so hard last time. Yeah. I'm getting like I'm getting I'm getting recommendations on more accessible sci-fi that is good for my brain. Seven Devils, I really loved. Yeah. So much that I instantly sent Joe a copy. You did. I finished reading that. And then I got a copy of Goldilocks, Laura Lamb's Goldilocks. I've got that. I need to read that. Ah, I haven't read it yet. We'll do it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember you, like, you, I think it's, you've been harping on me for, like, a year on that one, and I still haven't read it. Just sexy, it is, isn't it? It's a it? really fun book. Um, yeah, and it's, the responses, some of the reviews to it were like, oh, what's the point of this? It's just women, in, oh, it's lesbians in space. And everyone's like, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Pre-order. <laughs> Wicked. <laughs> Oh, lesbians in space, sign me up. Lesbians anywhere, to be honest. I am there. Very valid. (laughs) That is very valid. If there were actually lesbians in space, Joe would not be on Earth. I wouldn't be. Now you'd be like, sign me up. I'm on next roster out. I wouldn't even put a space helmet on. (laughs) (laughs) You'd hitch a ride on the wing. Yeah. You're like, ah, bye-bye. Bye, bitches. And then you're off, and then we just never see you again because you burned up in the atmosphere. Or founded a planet of lesbians. Both are valid. <laughs> Either way, you're not here anymore, so. We'd never see you again. We'd never see you again. It'd be a mystery. Where did Joe go? 
could be in space somewhere. She could be in our atmosphere. She could just be in a mysterious land of all lesbians. Mm-hmm. Just be staring longingly at the sky, like, do I follow? There'll be two moons in the sky of this lesbian planet that I live <laughs> at every... Are you going to go find Tatooine? <laughs> I mean, that's where everyone ends up, apparently. If you're in space, you just end up on Tatooine. Like yeah, of course center. you do. Every time, it's like the center terminal space. Can I just say, though, little Leia in Obi-Wan... <gasps> So I've got little Leia. <laughs> Aw. That's amazing. Oh, that looks so really good. Just, it's a tattoo of the Leia, you guys. Yes. Yeah. I've got a tattoo of Princess Leia on my back in a moon. So, and I got that when Carrie Fisher died. I need more tattoos. My tattoos are stubborn. Like when we left the EU, I was like, well, I'm getting the EU tattooed on me. When Carrie Fisher died, well, I'm getting you tattooed on me. And these are all valid reasons to get tattoos. Yeah. yeah. I have to admit. Um, but yeah, the the little Leia in the series was just, she was so, such a good homage to Carrie Fisher. Yes. And uh, like literally Luke popped up. I was like, don't care, get him off the screen. I, I, I don't care about Luke anymore. I only it's, cared about Luke when Obi-Wan went, hello there. And then I was yeah. like, Oh, Ewan McGregor was amazing. The series started and I was going to Rich. I was like, oh, Ewan McGregor needs to be in a series where, you know, he's like, you know, like Mandalorian or Wolverine, those styles where you've got a grumpy old man taking care of a small, vulnerable, yet weirdly powerful child of some sort. And then by the end of the first episode, I was like, they did it, they did it again. This is amazing. I'm so happy. I feel like they've shot themselves in the foot because what they've done is stumbled onto this amazing duo that they now can't revisit because of all the stuff that happens in the movies there's just not they could do like a layer growing up series and they then could... ben could like cameo they could do like a whole like 10 year adventure with them and then Leia gets a knock on the head and forgets it all <laughs> well they kind of retconned it a little bit anyway didn't they because Anyway, that's going wholly into Star Wars. This is not a Star Wars podcast. It's it's not, but it's sci-fi and we love sci-fi. Did mention that you have your favourite robots. Who are your favourite robots? Yes, let's go into robot talk. Oh my god. So this is this is when I suddenly forget all the names of my favourite robots. Yes, because we're putting you on the spot. That's why yeah. it just ran out your mind. Yeah. Well, I like CP3O because he's a nerd and and he's like the um, fanboy rep in the movie. And that's why I've always liked him, because I was like, yeah, he's just a Star Wars fan in the movie. Um, So he's one of my faves. Um, I like what's the droid called that we were chatting about earlier? The the one from Last Jedi, the little the consent, uh, consent bot, let's call him. Consent bot. I like consent it. Consent bot. And um, in Rogue One, is it K... K Why do I want to say K9? K2. K2, yeah. Is the best Star Wars robot in existence. It's funny because Z just made a pin of K2. Ah. An enamel pin. I've got a K2 figure that... I put out with like my plants. I don't know. I, it's like my scarecrow. <laughs> but um, voice voice by Alan Tudyk, right? Yes, I want to say. Yep. Um, I feel like he's everywhere doing voice stuff now. So. Yeah. He makes noises in some Disney movies. Like he plays characters that don't even talk, and he's just it- make, making the. Of them, it's him and Frank Welker. Those are the two guys who do all like the animal and robot voices for Disney. Frank Welker is the voice of Fred from Scooby Doo. He's the original <laughs> voice of Fred. He still plays Fred, but he's also known as like Abu from Aladdin. Like these really random characters. I think mm-hmm. Alan Tudyk is going to be like the next Frank Welker in that. Disney always done that with their voice actors. 
going back to like you know they retain the same sort of cast for a lot of things if you're good at it you might as well just do it all the time because disney will pay you money yeah, yeah. there's a, a lot of it mm-hmm. i th- i might have mentioned it on a podcast before but there's a disney plus oh it's not a disney plus film but it's a really old disney film the reluctant dragon uh, uh, yes on disney plus but where it's i'd never heard of it before and we watched it and he basically goes to the studio because he wants to pitch this idea to Walt Disney which is based on this book but the way it works is that he's kind of going through the studio lot and he wanders off so you get to see all these different stages of animation and how they did it at the time and it is absolutely fascinating in the uh, insight into the whole process but as you're watching it you're seeing these things and you're going wait that's Dumbo that's from this and you can see where like and literally the next film they made was Dumbo and things like that like they're drawing the elephants in the one room and then they're doing like the backgrounds in another and they're putting doll duck on there but oh, it's, it's interacting live action with animation in like the 40s i think that was one of the first times it's done that right i think so yeah yeah this would just be a general podcast like we just talk about whatever comes up mainly disney plus uh, related movies and TV shows. I just noticed actually. <laughs> That's kind of what we've done though with previous episodes. We kind of take off the like off the book and yeah. discuss whatever comes up, and then draw it back to the book now and then. Yeah. I mean, if you want me to go off on original Disney stuff, did that Disney original movie uh, Smart House was a very strange sci-fi esque foray. It was a sh- it was um back in the 90s it, Disney had like an original movie that came out like on a weekly basis. It was one of those. And it's funny because I loved that movie and then the TV show Eureka came out and there was a house that was almost exactly like the smart house in the Disney movie. What? And I was like, I love this. Speaking of Eureka is a very good show. It's not hard sci-fi. It's um fairly light but good characters. I had, I enjoyed it. Nice. I find that anything can be sci-fi. Like, if you think about it, The Lake House is sci-fi. Sliding Doors is sci-fi. Like, so yeah. many things. Um, There's, like, a million rom-coms that are sci-fi. Uh, yeah. about, about Time. Um, fifth, Not Fifty First Dates. That was a medical thing, wasn't it? Um, uh, yeah, that was but, more medical. But I guess, like, that is an extreme version of a scientific thing so you you can make anything sci-fi you can you can even put bruce willis in sci-fi movies yeah and he'll still be bruce willis in a sci-fi movie yeah 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 i watched some old do you know the m night Shyamalan? yeah i haven't watched it yet it's on my list oh that's brilliant and that all that does is take um like a like a couple a couple of phrase concept and work backwards from it and then you build up to to something that's so like day-to-day to to us uh, something that we kind of talk something that goes into every product that we own and have and use and creates this whole premise like the whole movie just from this tiny little idea and I think that's brilliant so old watch old I like Man Like Shyamalan. He has some interesting ideas. They don't always work, but at least he makes them and tries. Which and I, I have to uh, come. Like, I, yeah. I'm always shocked by his endings. And when people are like, oh, I saw that coming, I'm like, oh, I didn't. What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's good, though, that you're not, like, constantly analyzing and looking for the ending. I think that makes it a lot more enjoyable for you. Spoiler alert. Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Shocking. <laughs> did that in uni. We looked at Sixth Sense and before the screening of it, my lecturer asked, has anyone not seen this film? <laughs> I had a time. I was the only one. Oh my God. And she was like, I won't spoil it for you then. I was like, I know the ending. <laughs> That's why I haven't seen it because someone spoiled it for me. <laughs> 
Yeah. It was fun watching the film, like, not knowing how it was done, but knowing how it ended, because then you can, like, I was sitting there like, oh, wait, he's not, he's not talking to his wife. And about halfway through, I was like, yeah, this is perfectly normal. This is a healthy marriage. (laughs) See, because I didn't get it, watch it the first time, like, what? And then you have to watch it the second time to go, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. That's I why was, I love M9. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, the only thing that got me with the sixth sense was the little girl throwing up in his tent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one that one hit me a little harder than the actual ending of the movie. Just because it was like, you know, Munchausen by proxy killing the child because you don't like her, whatever the case was with it. And the girl had the foresight to film it, which was bizarre. The whole thing was, like, more sad to me and, like, a little bit disturbing on a different level than, you know, Bruce Willis's character. So that one stood out to me. Again, going to the, the human side versus the uh, weird sci-fi-y paranormal. I think a lot of yeah. it sense, like, it's more sad and scary like, it has a couple of jump scares, but, like, it's, it's tragedy is at its centre. And even the kid himself is, like, it's really sad what is happening to him. Yeah, and his mum is, who's Tony Collette. Yeah. Because we all love Tony Collette. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, I mean, she is very much a single mother trying to make it work, and her child is unfortunately or fortunately different and if she doesn't quite understand it yeah and that's that's, very very relatable yeah and that's um one of my favorite series is raising dion um which is like a single mom raising like this kid with an attitude and superpowers and it is just the best thing ever like and it makes me cry every time and it's supposed to be family but it shakes me every time that I, I watch it and then, you know, we build up to the climax of the season and, you know, there's only been two seasons, but it's one of one of my favourite shows. Yeah, that's kind of like me and the move and the TV show Dead Like Me. I was like so invested in those characters and then they freaking cancelled it and I was like, <gasps> oh you assholes. Yeah, honestly it was such a good series and so brilliantly done. The characters were great. I loved Mason. What what streaming service is this on? I don't know. I'll have to look it up and tell you. (laughs) But yeah, Dead Like Me was excellent. And Pushing Daisies, another one that only had like two or three seasons and then was cancelled. Yeah, they're all along the lines of like The Good Place and like Upload. Have you seen Upload on Prime? I love that. Yeah, I, I think for a moment, like, have I seen it? Yes, I have. Yeah, because it's weird, because when you think of the name Upload, it doesn't really match with how human the the kind of concept is as well. Yeah. Oh. And like, like you said, you look at like crossover sci-fi things as well. And like there's something about sci-fi and I think all genre fiction of films is a little bit more effective at kind of getting under the skin of what it means to be human by representing these non-human characters um, <coughs> or, you know, putting these characters in situations that none of us would really encounter in our day-to-day life. Um, okay. Dead Like Me is not streaming in the UK for the moment, annoyingly, but it is fab. Um, maybe try and get it on DVD because I'm sure that's cheap somewhere. Yeah, probably. It's an old enough series at this point that you should probably be able to find it. It's only two seasons. Yeah. Um, yeah, that one was really good. Sounds good. Also, I, like, Sex, Love, and Robots goes into that, too. Oh, like, yeah. The humanity. So but it's, I love that it's, that. like, different ways to approach it. The Sex, Love, and Robots is the goal. At, like, as a writer, as a short story sci-fi writer... Sex, Love and Robots is one of the goals, the goals. And um, one in in the kind of sci-fi Twitter community, there was 
somebody who was a friend of a friend of a friend that got a story into it and it was one of the best ones it was the santa claus one with santa yeah and and so so i'm like oh if like a friend of a friend of a friend on twitter can do it i can do it and um that's just one of the one of the goals is to write something effed up enough that it would get onto that (laughs) oh you can do it Thank you. I mean, that was an excellent one. I will say my personal favorite, just because I live so close to the state, was the one about yogurt taking over Ohio. Oh, my God. And I was like, you know what? Of all the states that need it, yes, Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Because the moment they said Ohio, I just lost my mind. I was like, this is such, like... No offense to anyone living in Ohio, but you guys need some help. You guys need some yogurt. You guys need some yogurt. Um, you need to stop coming over here for some of your things. But, um, yeah, I just lost my mind at it. And it's like, this is hilarious. I'm amazed they went for Ohio because, like, you know, New Jersey and West Virginia are such low-hanging joke fruit. <laughs> and... It's like, oh, no, you went to Ohio. You are from Ohio. You have to be from Ohio to make this joke. Oh, sorry, you two. This is America moment with Reggie and her. Um, it's fine. I never get the New Jersey jokes on RuPaul. I'm like, they're so mean about New Jersey. What's wrong with it? Oh, I'm assured by Ellen that everything like that is correct. But but I still need to visit. And I really do want to visit New Jersey. Um, New Jersey is New Jersey. Everything's legal in New Jersey. Um, That's a Hamilton quote, by the way, you guys. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, like, New Jersey is just so... Every state is different. Yeah. But New Jersey just is is pretty loud. (laughs) it's pretty loud see Um, I lived in the states for a year and I lived in California (laughs) so I know it's completely different because I've been to the east coast and it wasn't like my experience on the west coast (laughs) well it all depends on which part of California southern or northern northern Cal like I was in Chico which I went to Chico State University which is a party university out there yep (laughs) so you know it (laughs) I do. I've heard of it. But I'm yeah, so you were NorCal, girl. which is so different from SoCal. Yeah. And like NorCal is like more Pacific Northwest-y, but like the stranger part of the Pacific Northwest. Because the Pacific Northwest also has like a lot of militant militia type groups and some like preppers and a lot of like very special people I'm in addition like- to hippies. I'm 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 like a hippie prepper though. Like, I like the prepping stuff. Doomsday Preppers is a great show. <laughs> you might go to like Eugene, Oregon, move right in, and be like, I fit in here. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite is when part of their prep is doing push-ups, and I'm like, you're probably not going to need to do push-ups. It it like work on pickling stuff because push-ups ain't going to help you. It's <laughs> funny. Well, preppers are kind of like trying to prep for another sci-fi type situation or some kind of like alternative situation, which is very not not to offend you, Joe, but that kind of tracks for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> but you take the side like a lot of these doomsday preppers, like you said, they focus on the fitness and the guns, yeah. that's all. Whereas Joe's there like like everyone was during the pandemic. I'm going to make... to forage. <laughs> yeah, forage, make food, make sure people are eating fine. I'm going to learn how to knit and sew and, like, all the important things that keep you alive, which are not make, guns. Making clothes. Why is nobody adding that into their prepping? Because clothes, when you're on the road in the apocalypse, clothes don't last as long as they do in real life right now. You need yeah. to be able to patch your clothes and make new clothes. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why humanity has managed to get as far as not just our thumbs, but also the advent of thread. 
because then we could start going different places that were colder. And all of a sudden we have clothing and we start to evolve more and it's a whole thing. So preppers. This is a prepping podcast now. Welcome to the prep podcast. <laughs> We're prepping for sci-fi futures. Learn how to sew, you guys. Yeah, we'll and give you the real the tea yes. on prepping. Learn how to sew. Learn how to bake bread. Forage. Forage for um, the non-poisonous mushrooms. Sanitized jars as well. I'm sorry I'm getting down to these really tiny little things. You need to be able to, to sterilize jars. Yeah. To the winter. It's really important. You don't you don't want to be giving yourself botulism in the winter in the apocalypse. No. Yeah. No, Come, on, guys. Come on. <laughs> All right. We are way off topic at least, sort of. But t- talking of apocalypses, um you do actually have a post apocalyptic novella out that is about travelling across a country that's been in this instance a plague i do and i i wrote this before covid came out can i just yes yes she did say that and then covid came out and then the way i described the government in the book was the way our government treated us like a post-apocalyptic government anyway um so yeah sloth is a novella it, you could you could read it in one sitting i would say 90 pages my therapist read it in one sitting she told me and then we had a very good session afterwards um and it is about um a lesbian couple they're quite like a metrosexual lesbian couple one's you know works in pr and one's a barista and um how they cope with um a disease which slows your heart until it doesn't beat anymore unless you keep your heart rate up above a certain level. So that's the that's the kind of challenge. They've got to, every few hours, keep their heart rate up to avoid the sloth, the disease setting in. Yeah, and it is a really good novella. I, I can confirm that. Um, it, it deserves to be read, so definitely pick up a copy of that. I haven't well. received anything less than five stars for it, but I also have only a few reviews for it. <laughs> So we don't do it. Don't make that a challenge, though, you guys. Like, don't actually read it, like it, and then, like, just put a one-star review in just because you thought it was a funny joke, which actually happened to a uh, podcast that I was listening to. They were like, loved it, one star. And all of a sudden he started getting flooded with one-star reviews because people thought they were being funny. He's like, guys, um, you can write that in the comment, but you know those actual stars mean something, right? Oh, bless. Yeah. So don't do that, you guys. You can say, like, one-star review in the comments whenever you're uh, reviewing Joe's book, but uh, give her five stars. I just don't even write that in the comment because I'll think about it four weeks after. Don't read your reviews. <laughs> don't leave a review. Just give five stars. There you go. Problem solved. Can you leave a review and just say, I hope you find the lesbian planet one day, darling. <laughs> <laughs> Joe wants to be president of the lesbian planet. Yeah. Or not. We're going to be the prepper out back. I, I, I could be the janitor for the lesbian planet. I'll be happy. Joe's <laughs> next book now, out next year, lesbian planet. I mean, by all means, do it. Lesbian planet, go wild. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt so bad. Lesbian planet, go wild. <laughs> you know what? You can make your own on for Redbubble and order it for yourself. And I reckon other people would want, especially like, so, so I'm in I'm in a community called Stoned Queers, and I reckon they would go for that. It's oh, there's an idea for me. World. Like, Sorry, drinks, if it's a really shittily drawn world in the middle, it's <laughs> just like, you know, like a kid draws a globe. I'm just laughing at the word shittily. Is that is that a real word? Are you an editor? Might as well be. <laughs> We we use it enough that it might as well be considered a real word. Shittily. <laughs> Shittily. Yeah. I'm saying it's a word. It's a word. Yeah. So wait. So what did I say? Lesbian planet go wild. Is that what I said? Yeah. And you writing right, it down. I'm, <laughs> I'm writing it down because guess what? I have access to enough digital art stuff to be dangerous. 
I have absolutely no skills, but I have access, and that gonna, is all you need. Okay, you're gonna try and make this go big. I'm gonna make it, and you can buy one. How does that yes. sound? Joe? Can you do like some cute aliens in bikinis or something? Sure, I'll try and figure it out. Oh, Elle's already. She's on it. She's oh, right. She's on. She's, ah, that's it. She's got. She's got the first draft already for this. Excellent. And then it, Reggie, it might become a brand. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> I'd be okay if that was our brand. It's like all proceeds go to as bad bookish podcast. And lesbians in the- And lesbians. I mean, it's going if it goes into the podcast, it's going to a buy and pan woman, so Exactly. True. True. Well, I've written it down. So who knows? Eventually. Maybe if I'm feeling energized this week, I might throw something together very fast. But it's released when the podcast releases, so we don't swallow the surprise. I mean, I could always release it and see what happens, and then we can directly link to it. All that? Yeah. I'm like, okay, okay, you have to, like, send me a shirt so I can wear it as well on the Instagram and stuff. All right. On the Instagram? On the Instagram, all of a sudden we are old ladies. Hey, I'm I'm 29 now. I've already decided I'm lying about my age, and I'm 29 forever. Okay. Fair. All right. Cheers. Thanks. My friend is the opposite. She's uh lying about her age, but she's aging herself up because she's like, I'm tired of dating men in their 20s. I'm now 30 years old. Now I'm going to date older men. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to do it. Uh, yeah, she has had a kind of wish she was probably be happier if she was bi. But she unfortunately is very het. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I wish Quinn is on some straight people, too. I'm like, I wish she was gay so you could see the happy sunshine rainbow time. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. At least give you more options that way. Or read Becky Chambers' Psalm for the Wild Bill and enjoy, just enjoy all of Becky Chambers' sci-fi, LGBT worlds. There you go. Accessible sci-fi and it's gay. Can I just say there are some straight people in it as well, just for the straight people out there. We're not, you know. Is this a straight warning? (laughs) This is a straight warning. (laughs) Sims 4 are releasing a new update that finally allows people to make their Sims straight. Yep, I saw that. Yeah, and then there was an FAQ that said, can you turn off this feature? It's like, no. The FAQ said, uh, LGBT people cannot be turned on and off in real life by a toggle. Deal with it, basically. That's brilliant. Yeah. And it was other people pointing out because they're adding in like options for who your sim is attracted to um, and things like that. And they already have a thing in there that you can like choose their gender, what clothes they prefer um, and whether they be standing up or sitting down. They introduced pronouns not long ago um, and now they're introducing this where you can actually like choose your sexuality or. Or you can say that they're still exploring. Oh, nice. And it's a balance over time, which, yes, Sims. <laughs> but, yeah, now you can officially make your Sims straight, whereas before they were always sort of pan. Which always made it more fun, though. Like, yes. they're going to hook up next. Oh, now they're in the, the closet. All I, right. I love what gaming does for LGBT people. Like... Like in Pokemon, in Pokemon Arceus, there was a very clear non-binary character, right? And but but Pokemon Arceus is set in ancient history, and I love that. I'm like, yeah, it like it, it's great, and I I just find I just find gaming is a great way to reflect. The, the culture, the society of the time, like sci-fi. Yeah. I agree. Uh, whoops. Yeah, and it does feel like we're seeing a rise of sort of LGBT sci-fi as well. 
um, similar to like is I think it, across all different genres at the moment it does seem to be an increase and hopefully despite everything going on at the moment may that continue yeah yeah yes please because uh I mean, even that same-sex kiss in Lightyear was apparently controversial. What? If people complaining about it were getting it wrong and saying it was Buzz who had the kiss. And it was just like, no. not even watching the film before you're complaining about it. Uh, can I just say, I've not seen it yet because it's still at the cinema, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I've just seen that clip because everyone was sharing it to say, like, this is all it is. It's not like... Oh, Okay. What is yeah. it? The parents that he he first had two moms or something. I think it might be. Yeah. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. The thing is, when people start doing that in a sort of indie sphere, it does bleed start bleeding through because I know obviously indie authors for years have been publishing LGBT works. It does take a while, but it does shift through the mainstream. I think we're, we're yeah. gradually seeing that in in Mar- across Disney. Yeah, As like the Owl House. On, they've been really bad. I love Owl when- House. <laughs> Owl House is cute. Oh, Owl House is so gay. I love it. <laughs> but we're seeing it in Marvel. We're seeing elements of it yeah. come into Star Wars and now Disney as well through Lightyear. Our flag so. means death, where everyone is gay. Like, their default is gay. I need that to come to the UK, like, now. Yes, you I do. I get really frustrated checking for it all the time. But apparently, HBO Max might be releasing here, so they might be holding it back for that. But normally, up, HBO shows go on to Sky Atlantic, which means HBO. they end up on Now TV. HBO needs to hurry it up so you guys can get those gay pirates. <laughs> Those They're all gay. Like Joe, I cannot emphasize this enough. The know, default, the default of this world is everyone is gay or on like some kind of you know spectrum, but no one is straight. I don't think anyone is really straight. I don't Personally. think so either, which makes it very relatable. And of course, like, my favorite character doesn't necessarily show up until, like, the last episode or two. And I'm like, oh, look at her. Look at her. (laughs) And I'm just, like, staring. And my partner was like, are you okay? I'm like, her. That one. Yep. That one right there. (laughs) Yep. He's like, of course you would. Of course you would. Why would you go on? She is the... uh, mortician's wife Ooh. and says murder is a natural cause and I'm like yes yes you <laughs> she also has um, a very fancy looking eye patch she's the oh. only one with an eye patch and she's in this big frilly gown chain smoking and has like a giant eye patch <laughs> I love her I've never even seen her I, yeah I, I love her I, I would mean, die for her already and I, I don't know who she is she also has a cheetah what it just comes up out of nowhere it's like oh there's a cheetah all right i'm just rolling with this now (laughs) anyway i am way off topic now i am in gay pirates that's fine yeah that's fine i like gay pirates so before we start wrapping up is there anything else either you want to add about the book uh, just read it. Martha says read it, so read it, guys. Martha says read it. Sarah Gailey. Uh, Sarah Pinks, Pinks says read it as well. Joe says to read it too. I say read it too. There you go. Will you so, guys actually read it and then just like message me and be like, oh yeah, I get what you mean. Everything you said on the podcast was true. I will. <laughs> if, if, ever, if I ever start getting into that giant TBR pile that is drowning me, I'm going to have to move it up the list, but yes. And um, Joe, anything to promote? Uh, yeah, I I also ha- I'm a musician, singer-songwriter, um, and my name is Annie on the Run, and I'm kind of like 
Um, I, the BBC Radio described me as post-genre. So when when I try and describe my music, I'm like, I, I can't. Um, because my music, I, I'm like a student of the greats. Like I love Elvis. I love like Dolly Parton. I love Lady Gaga. I love Taylor Swift and Lana Del Rey. And I love Paul McCartney and Elton John. Like, I, I just, I'm... So, so downplay your love for Taylor Swift. You are a full oh on Swiftie. Oh, my. I was trying not to, Elle, because... <clears throat> do you know who else is a full on Swiftie? There's nothing horror, wrong with that. In the horror community. Who? Luke Condor. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah. Ah. All right. I know where they're all at. I know where they're all at. I can get a Swifty to uh to get out of the woodworks. You just subtly subtly quote a Taylor Swift song, and then they'll just suddenly start singing the rest of it, and then that's that. <laughs> but um, tip for everyone there. Yeah. Also, go listen to Joe's music. So yeah, my it's Annie on the Run. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Spotify. Obviously, Apple Music, Amazon, um, or all, all of some some streaming platforms I've never even heard of. I'm on there, um, and it's a great song. Yeah, there's only one song out at the moment because I'm releasing an EP soon, but um, I don't know when this is going out. It's a while. It'll probably be September. My my EP will be out by September, guys. Everybody, go buy download stream the summer is dead ep by annie on the run there we go we'll include links guys links in the descriptions yeah and and the the ep is an apocalyptic ep as well nice on on brand it's it's the beach apocalypse so yeah nice yeah. So sci-fi, go, sci-fi is well in my music as well, by the way. <laughs> so go follow Joe across social media. Check out her EP as well. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at LTurfit. The podcast is at Esbat Bookish. And if you want to follow me, I'm at Reggie C. Writes. And Joe, where do they want to follow you? If they so, want to follow you. I'm at Author on Twitter. Joanne, ask your author on Instagram and Annie on the Run on Instagram and Annie on the Run on TikTok, which is something in, someone in their 30s really struggles at. But I'm getting there. <laughs> You're only right. 29. Yeah. Yeah, apparently 29 is too old for TikTok now anyway. So. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Jo. Thank you. It was lovely. Yeah, yeah thank you I- so much. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to go give us a review as well. Give us a rating. It really does help. Bye. All right. See you guys. Bye. Bye.